tune in, tone up. Your one-stop shop for guitar tricks, tips, techniques and advice. With me, Gary Shilliday, and my own excellent teacher, Dan Davis. Guitar Lesson 39 is a study of chord types by working through many of the major and dominant possibilities. By adding each note of a scale to a triad, Dan shows me how to explore chord sounds rather than shapes. We look at upper extensions and finally look at one way to use chords which are out of key. Dan also raises substitution as a way to really build interest into your rhythmic parts. Today maybe it might be an idea to do something which perhaps I'm less familiar with. I wonder okay. if you've got any ideas for anything in the harmonic variety, you know, something to do with chords. Right, okay. There's a few things that I I kind of see with students on quite a regular basis. Things like slightly unanswered questions, perhaps, Yeah. which I feel need answering. And sometimes people look for the answers in slightly wrong places. So often I get the question, I want to know if there's any other chords. Yeah. I want to know if there's any other scales. I want to know if there's any other strumming patterns. Almost as if if you provide a person with you know this massive encyclopedia of chords, scales and strumming patterns, that will somehow magically all come together and work for them. Now, of course, people don't always have the most eloquent ways of asking for things. They don't always know what they're asking for either. So yeah. they don't always speak that musical language maybe makes more sense to, to somebody who understands the theory behind things. So you, as a teacher, you have to decode what's coming in and kind of try and give them the best that you can that's going to serve them well, if you follow. Yeah, it does, yeah. So yeah. it sounds like a really convoluted explanation that I'm giving here. But what I'm driving at is that just giving someone a bunch of chords or just giving someone a bunch of scales or just giving someone some strumming patterns might help them out in certain circumstances, but where there's no structure which ties it all together, it can be a little bit meaningless. Yeah. So what would be more helpful, maybe, is understanding not just what different chords there are, but what chords actually do go together and work together. So like, chord, do you mean chord progression, standard chord progressions? More or? sort of within a key. Yeah, You know, I wouldn't want to tie someone down to a specific progression necessarily. But, you know, I mean, we will use a chord progression maybe in a while to explain more fully a way where we can hear it. But it's a bit like I could I could give you loads of interesting chords, but they might all be in different keys. Yeah. So when you put them together, they may or may not work. And it, you might not understand like how they go together, you know, and what works with what. So the theory behind it is, is no good. Now, with some people, there's some people don't always want to delve into the theory. So yeah. you get somebody, I've talked, I've talked to people who, I'm not, I'm not saying all singer-songwriters are like this. I know there's some singer-songwriters who really understand their theory probably better, far better than, than I do. 
but even so, you know, I do find with some sort of fledgling singer-songwriter types that they want interesting chords, but they're kind of not too fussed about the theory behind it. Yeah. So you have to give a very sort of whitewashed, sugar-coated, basic kind of theory lesson to kind of back up what you're saying. But the basics of it are that things need to work together. So if we're to use chords and find more interesting chords and find chords maybe that we could substitute for our normal ones, then it's good to know kind of what we can and can't use. Yep. Now, it's no different, really, when people say to me, what can I use over what? What scale can I use over over what set of chords? And sometimes when people are asking me for different scales, they think that by giving them different scales, it will suddenly open everything up. But again, if you don't know what to use with what, you could end up with a, a guitar sounding car crash gotcha so what i want to do we will get on to playing in a minute i promise what i want to do is give you a basic theory lesson of chords and how they go together yeah and hopefully this will help our listeners as well if they've got any queries regarding chords you can always contact us as well via facebook via website and also get one-to-one lessons if you want to we can arrange that outside of the podcast situation as well if you want subjects like this explained more fully, and we do have some some podcast listeners who do do that, so that is an option for anyone listening in if they're interested. So let's look at maybe the theory behind yep. it. What makes a chord a sus two, a sus four, a seventh? How far along are you there with that particular reasoning? Uh, I think I'm pretty good on a lot of that. So I know like that the sus two, you remove the third. Yeah. And you you're gonna be playing the the two of the chords, so it'd be one, two and five. Same with the sus four, and it'll be the four instead of the three. Okay, so you're fairly clued in, but you wouldn't necessarily know what you could use as a substitute for something else to make it more interesting. No, and one thing in particular that often comes up and I never really have uh had a good hold on it is uh you kind of chords that are outside of key that you can use okay. when you're songwriting i think i've read read them called secondary dominance and stuff like this right i don't know about that and i don't okay no problem okay well i'll give you a few pointers there as well so for our listeners for the benefit of our listeners i'm going to very very briefly explain what makes chords up yeah and i'm going to try and do it in a way that's easy to get your head around Because unfortunately, with some music books, they either kind of sort of maybe don't give you quite enough theory or they're very musery and they blind you with science. Neither of which I think are very, very helpful, especially to the intermediate player who's on his way up. Music is like a language, and sometimes the language which is used to explain the language of music is completely different to the way we would normally explain things and has to be decoded. Yeah. So I like to explain things in a plain English way. So whether a guy's a sort of professional guitarist like myself, who has a sort of a a decent understanding of music and can can decode the language of music, or whether it's the guy in the pub band who knows a couple of pentatonic shapes and a handful of chords and songs, but wants to stretch his playing out, or even a beginner who who wants to dip into it, any of those guys can listen to our podcast and go, okay, I think I get it. Yep. That's the idea. So let's look at the basics of it. If we take a major scale yep. as a starting point, 
Here we go. We're going to use C major. It's very user-friendly. All the white notes on the piano. We're starting on the third fret of the A. Now, if I give each of those notes a number, this is really the easiest way to do it. Yeah. So let's say C is our root or number one. Yep. That's our root. And we're going to go root, then D is second, E is third, F is fourth, G is fifth, A is sixth, B is seven, and then we've got the octave note on top, which is another yep. C. So root, root, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yep. Now, our basic chord, in this case, we're, gonna, we're looking at a C major scale, so it's a C major chord. Like any basic chord is made up of root, third, and fifth. Yep. Now, how what I mean by that, when I say root, third, and fifth, if you're looking at a D minor chord, to get the correct root, third, and fifth, you've got to look at a D minor scale. Yeah. If you're looking at an F major chord, you've got to look at an F major scale. Yeah. So we're just using C major as like a template from which you can then transfer this onto other scales and figure it out. Yep. Now... We're in a major key here, so obviously if something is in a minor key, then you're going to end up with a slightly different selection of chords, aren't you? Yeah. Naturally. Yeah. But in a major way, we're saying like root, third, and fifth, so we're just looking at the key of C and the chords in C. So root is our C, D would have been the second, we're skipping that one, so E is our third, it's a major scale, and it's called a major third, it's four frets above your root. Yeah. Three frets above that is the fifth. So we're skipping the fourth, which is the F, going to the five. Now, what this does, it doesn't give you a chord shape, but it gives the components of the chords. Yeah. Now, I want to, at this point, just get away from a kind of, not common misconception, but something which can kind of confuse people. A chord is not a chord shape. A yeah. chord shape is just a shape. When you put a capo on the guitar, that chord may be the same shape, but it suddenly becomes different. So yeah. if you're playing a C chord, and you put a capo on the fifth fret, and you play the same open C chord shape with the capo on the fifth fret, so your first yeah. finger would be starting on the first fret of the B, it's no longer a C chord, is it? It's an F. Yeah. And so on. Now, people get very confused about this and dialed into like, it's the shape, it's the shape, it's the shape. Yeah. Remember, chords are just notes. Yep. Wherever you find those three notes, regardless of the combination they're in, so C, E, G, G, E, so it looks like an anagram, isn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> wherever you find those three notes, you're going to get C. Yeah. So it doesn't matter whether it's up here at the dusty end. Yeah. Or whether it's in the middle. down the bottom yeah they are all combinations of those three notes if you look at your open chord you've got a C an E on the D string open G first fret on the B gives you a C note and then an E in the top yeah so you can also be forgiven if you're a fledgling guitarist for thinking that all chords must contain like five notes or something actually what you've got is three notes but then two repeated in a higher register yep 
So this is something else worth knowing. The basics of chords, be the minor, major, or diminished, is three notes. Yeah. That makes up our chord. Simple as that. So let's get into why chords have all these funny numbers. Because I want to debunk this because it adds an awful lot of confusion to, to rhythm playing for a lot of people. So as you quite rightly stated, we were talking about the sus2s and sus4s. Yeah. Usually it's, it's generally assumed that we hold on to the root third and the fifth for any major chord in the key of C. However, there are two chords in major keys which buck the trend. Buck the trend, yeah. Buck the trend, yes. And that's the sus2 and sus4. Now, what this stands for is suspended, because the sus2 has that kind of hanging quality. It sounds like it really wants to go back to a C. Yeah. C sus2, C. Yeah. And then you've got C sus4. Again, it, it sounds like it needs to go home to a C yeah. chord, yeah? Yeah. So the sus2 and the sus4, while they can be used in a number of different places, there's two things which are really interesting about these chords and also how they're made up. For one, neither the sus2 or the sus4 have a third, as you quite rightly said at the beginning. So instead of being root... Third and fifth, so in the key of C, C, E, G, yeah. the sus2 is root, second and fifth, no third. So C, D, G. Yep. And the sus4 is C, F, G. So root, fourth, fifth, so no third. Yep. And all the other thing which is interesting is often they're used, not always, but quite often as like a passing chord. So you might have C as your kind of sort of baseline chord, yep. and you'll play the others off of them. fretting a normal bar chord of C at the third fret. So three from the A, and then on the next three strings, fifth fret, third on the top string, and then on the B string, that's where we were making the changes. So if you do five on the B string, you get a C. If you do six, you get a sus four. And then if you just hang it back to the bar, so you've got then third, fifth, fifth, and third get the sus2 so there's yep. one right there there's one substitution you can make say someone's written a song and it hangs on c and you're thinking oh i'm a little bit bored of this it's just on yeah. c you're gonna be there for three or four minutes it's a pop song this could get boring so you could <laughs> yeah, add the sus2s yeah. and fours Very, very common thing to do. And it sounds pretty cool and makes your guitar part a little bit more interesting. And providing it fits in with everything else that's going on in the song, it's an option where you can substitute. Yep, cool. Because you haven't just stuck on C, you've substituted it for two other chords. So actually your whole part consists of a sus2, a sus4, and a C. Yep. Moving onwards, 
the easy thing to to kind of grasp when we're explaining how chords are made up you know using the number system that we've got you know we yeah. get the sus2 sus4 etc is it's all about eliminating the numbers that have already passed so we've already used up our root our second our third our fourth and our fifth yep so we've only got two notes to go yeah yeah it's yeah. not difficult really yeah but i think people make a bit more of a meal of it than is necessary so the sixth note in line is an A. Now at this stage, what we're doing, once we pass the sus twos and fours, we're just adding the note to the chord. Yeah. How you choose to add it is up to you. So you could do the said bar chord that we've already played, third fret on the A, then five, yeah. five, and five on the next three strings. And then just pull down. A yeah. five on the top. Yeah. And you can immediately hear it's a sweeter sound. A less direct, sweeter sound, almost with a jazzy kind of vibe. And you could play that, not that shape, but that chord in a number of different like, guises. Like that. So, just adding the A on the G string in the open position. You could do that as well, yeah. so it almost becomes like an A minor with a C in the bass. Yeah. And you've got this sort of shape, which is like the F shape, starting on the eighth. So you've got eighth of the B. Ninth of the G. Actually, tell a lie. Eighth of the top string. Yep. Then you've got the little finger on the tenth of the B. The second finger on the ninth of the G. And the third finger on the tenth of the D. That's it. Now, how does that not sound Hawaiian when you use the trem? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. And this is the thing nice. with with scales and chords is is if you can kind of in a way attach a meaning. A yeah. meaning, a memory, yeah. a sound, a sound of a song or style to that, it kind of takes on a greater meaning. Becomes more mean uh, more usable. Yeah, because it's like um, I I was watching this uh, program last night. Actually, I found it was quite interesting. It was it was all about the making of Faulty Towers. Yeah, the comedy, and John Cleese was talking about his acting. I thought this was a brilliant way of explaining it, and how you could apply it to music is equally as brilliant in a way. Yeah, and he was saying that you know he, he said you know as an actor he said you have all of the emotions, so you have you know you have the the frustration and anger that the Basil yeah. Forty had, that's in you. But, you know, so are all the other emotions. But he said, of course, when you play a different part, a certain part, you ramp up some of the emotions yeah, and suppress others and maybe change it around when you're playing a different role, a different character. And he was saying when you, you know, it's like a painter. He said, you know, if you, if you always paint in red or always paint in blue, it's a very sort of monotone look. But he said, you know, you have all of these different colours, all of these palettes of colours available to you, and you will be painting with different colours depending on what you're doing. If you're painting yeah. a country scene, it's all greens and browns and blue skies and, you know, and so on. And he said, you know, you're going to use more of one colour than another. And yeah. acting, it's just the same. And I thought, that's brilliant. That, that That's one to kind of log in the memory banks and use because it's a very clever way of, explaining things that anyone can understand 
And with music, it's just the same. You know, if you have these things at your disposal, you know, you don't have to sort of paint with one style, one chord progression, yeah. one scale, one type of chord. And you, you can bring in these other elements. So if you think something has a, a country flavor to it, you could add that country flavor. You could ramp up that part of your playing, just yeah. like he was pushing a certain area of his personality to act a certain part. You're pushing a certain area of your playing to adapt to what you've got to play over. Yes, and yeah. these are the things Makes that make sense. exactly make you more versatile as a player. So when I'm talking chords, I'm often thinking that ninths sound funkier and jazzier than sevenths. Sevenths yeah. to me sound bluesier. Major ninths and major sevens sound very sweet and very jazzy. Yeah, it's similar to what I was showing you at the beginning where I was trying to learn how to identify intervals Mm. from just hearing them. Plenty of good programs out there, folks, to help you with that. And I've read a bit about it as well. And people tend to say, if you can just recognize them, that's Mm. great. But actually, it's really hard at first. And so what I kind of did was tried to find certain songs that I could go, oh, that sounds like that. Therefore, that's a fourth. That sounds Uh, like the bridal march. Something that people don't do as well, which is a really good thing to do. I've noticed an awful lot of guitarists, unless they are the sort of singer-songwritery types, tend to shy away from singing. Now, singing can be very, you know, it can leave you very vulnerable. It can be quite embarrassing if you're not used to doing it. But actually being able to sing, or at least kind of like, you know, hum along even to start with. Yeah. And hum a scale. Yeah. And hum with your guitar. I used to do a little exercise where I'd I'd like I'd sing with a scale. And you're kind of sliding there as well, aren't you? You could slide between yeah. those, I guess. And then to, I'd try and hold that in my head and yeah. I'd play the harmony. And oh, sing that's along a nice with. practice. Hard. Or something like that. It's Fair quite, <laughs> it's quite good practice because also if you can sing, if you as a musician know, yeah, I bet if you ask an awful lot of singers, unless they're quite well versed in it, yeah, how many notes are in a major scale? They go, and they'd have to sing their way through it. Yeah. Now you know there's seven plus an octave. Yeah. So eight all told. Right. So now you know where the intervals are. So if you go. So if you can sing, hear and sing the yeah. next two notes, you know you're going to arrive at a major third. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, you see? In a way, is a better way, because I think for major third, I've identified that as where the saints go marching. Oh, when? Yeah. Which also gives you the fifth. Yeah. Actually, that's... And the fourth. Th- and the fourth, yeah. I hadn't even thought about... Right. Because, like, you know, I've just tried to identify that kind of sound and go, oh, it makes me think that. And it's still quite difficult, but um, I think it's better if you can do it the way you were just doing it. But it's much harder skill. Mm. And I like that exercise, uh, uh, the harmonisation exercise. Yeah, that could be because... interesting. I'm actually better at doing the it, other one. It's very hard. I mean, I, I do... Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing oh, okay. the other one. Yeah, yeah. I guess if you've got two guitarists... 
I'll do the fifth there. Very good. <laughs> Very impressive. It's... I'm not... Folks so, listening, I'm not going to try that <laughs> at the come, moment. Come, come, I'm going to be doing yourself. that in private. <laughs> That's what she said. So, <laughs> Every time. So they're, they're good little exercises to teach you yeah, those really intervals. Good. You know, I think that could be kind of helpful. But a lot of people don't think of doing that. How many times do we hear, you know, sing your licks, sing your licks? Yeah. And while, you know, we don't all sit up there on stage kind of singing our licks. It's yeah. Like, Try and sing Ingve Malmsteen's Black Star. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this, this isn't going to happen. Try singing Alan Holdsworth's Devil Take the Hindmost. No. <laughs> it's not going to happen. The boat yeah. ain't leaving the harbour. Yeah. But, you know, there are certain melodies and things and grooves and stuff. We're actually hearing it, feeling it, singing it can be very good. And another spin-off of that, which I find quite useful for certain things, I want to play something original, is, you know... I can sing a line. You've got to sing a line, like you might have a chord progression. And try and like replicate what you've hummed over the top. Yeah. When you sing, there's no barrier. Even if you're the world's worst singer. Yeah. Even if you sound like strangled cats in a car crash. When you sing, there's no barrier. Yeah. Ask any drunk person playing air guitar. There's no, <laughs> there's no barrier. It just comes out. It doesn't always come out in the most dignified fashion. It doesn't always sound absolutely amazing. Yeah. But if you know what you want to hear and you can kind of hum it even, which usually when people play an instrument, even if they can't sing very well, they can usually hum a melody or something. Yeah. And then try and... So mine started there. And then once you've found that melody, how are you going to dress it up? So I could bend up. Take it an octave up. I could even do it as a whole sort of step and a half bend. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yep. Or even do a, a pre-bend drop down to. Yeah. Nice. So we yeah. can then dress it up with all our guitar sort of things. But finding yeah. the melody in the first place, that's a really good thing to do. Because you've got the naturalness there. Our fingers, like patterns, is how we seem to learn as guitar players. Yeah. It has an advantage. The advantage is it gets us started quickly. Yeah. It gets us on it really fast. Look, that's the pattern. I can make my fingers do that. I can commit that to muscle memory. I'm going to play it over and over again. Look, I've got it. Yeah. That's one side of the coin. Put it this way. 
just because you can play the solo from Bohemian Rhapsody doesn't make you as good as Brian May. Yeah. Now, you might, in your own right, actually be an even better player or a different player who's just as good. But just that ability, because a lot of guitarists haven't kind of got there yet, if we're honest. Yeah. Because you can buy the tab and because you can play the solo, it took me a while to kind of get my head around this as a kid, as you can imagine. It doesn't make you as good as the guy who played the solo. Just because you can play a solo, you weren't the brains behind it. Yeah. You didn't come up with the licks. You didn't come up with the melody. You weren't the guy who had the musical mind that thought that's going to be perfect there. Yeah. Just because you can play it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you follow? Yeah. So the ability to create your own thing, create your own sound. Yeah. Be it with chords or a solo and create your own melodies. You know, if you want to be truly different, you want to get into some players who I think are. I need all these extra notes. I need all these extra techniques because I listen to people like Derek Trucks and I just pale. Derek Trucks is just amazing. Yeah. Guy plays an SG. If you haven't heard him, check him out. Man, it's amazing. He plays an SG with a slide, pretty much a slide player predominantly. It's so vocal. His melodies will make you cry what this guy comes up with. It's just so vocal. It's like listening to the most soulful singer you can possibly imagine. I've never, ever in my life, and I've heard a hell of a lot of guitar play, ever heard somebody play with such a vocal quality as Derek Trucks. Right. Every note is like someone singing. And the stuff he does is kind of like this combination of sort of blues and gospel with this amazing lush slide playing over the top. And you just think how utterly unique and individual. Yeah. No one sounds like that. And no one still, you know, there are no players like that out there. He is it. He's a man on an island. But to develop a style which is original and discernible as your own, now that's special. That's really, really special. You know, once you get committed to the, the history books of guitar, and when you play a lick like Eric Johnson, it sounds, well, that's an Eric Johnson lick or a Hendrix lick. That's a Hendrix-style lick. You kind of know you've arrived. You've created your own thing, and now people are duplicating that, their thing. Yeah. You know, you listen to someone like Brian May. Again, it's very melodic. It's very yeah. vocal. It's a song within a song. It's its own little thing when Brian May plays a solo. You know, if you play the solo to Kill a Queen or you play the solo to... We are the champions, yeah. or or anything like that. It's immediately, immediately discernible. It's like that is that solo from that song, yeah, and it belongs with that song. If you can come up with a better one, be my guest. Yeah, you know, and even when people have a very kind of like a looser, kind of more flowing style, like you take Eddie Van Halen, now. No offence to John Mayer, he's a great player in his own right. But Fallout Boy yeah. did a cover of Beat It some years back, and John Mayer played the solo. Not Eddie Van Halen. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, you, you got the feeling he was slightly out of his comfort zone style-wise. Yeah. Which is probably not entirely his fault, and he's a bit of a funny choice of player to play a solo like that. Yeah. 
Unfortunate. Sorry, John. If you listen, we don't care. Uh, <laughs> probably at some PRS experience playing a 10 grand private stock or something right now you're just not bothered anywho <laughs> you listen to Eddie Van Halen's solo especially on that track but many others as well it's got this real unpredictable quality you go into an Eddie Van Halen solo and you never knew what you were going to get you know are you going to get a harmonic squeal with the trem bar are you, you, know, you going to get some sort of kind of interesting yeah, tapping patterns you. or yeah it, you never knew what you were going to get yet his solos hung together beautifully like perfect little work of yeah. art in its own right and again very discernible for each song you only get that when someone chases the sounds in their head rather than chases finger patterns right you yeah. only get that when somebody is searching for a sound so yeah. there's where to put the work in <laughs> exactly it took me years it's like what i found going back to trying to build my ears up i mean i started doing that probably about two years ago or something Mm. and it's like becoming a beginner again and you're out of your comfort zone because you can't recognize a semitone to a tone or you know and it's like there's nothing to hold on to and patterns don't exist patterns don't exist in the world of hearing it yeah because it's it's no longer about a pattern it's about a note you now have to engage your ears and you have to listen. Yeah. One thing that a lot of lead guitarists could do well to do, and I'm not saying they don't all not do it, but I think it's probably one thing that if lead guitarists are honest, they probably would admit that they're not the best at, is really listen to the backing. Yeah. You know, when you're working with a drummer, listen to that drummer. Watch the groove that he's doing. Can you work against his groove in a kind of a cool way? Can you play some odd figures, maybe fives or sevens that kind of sound a little more interesting? Yeah. Can you go with his groove? Do you respond to what the band is doing? Do you respond to the chord changes so that you know if a chord change is ascending, you could go down, you could stay where you are, you could go with it. You know, if you're not listening to what you're playing over, if you don't know the chords you're playing over, you know there's chords there, you kind of know what they are. You just know I've got this scale shape and I'm going to have a blast. You're unlikely to come out with anything that really directly connects with the track. Yeah. You're going to be out there on your own, doing your own thing, and it doesn't matter what the band is Yeah, doing. it makes good sense. Listen to what you're doing and respond to what the guys are doing in the band. There is a great phrase I heard once when I was reading a guitar magazine back in the day, and that phrase was, when it comes to playing in a band, it's play the song, don't play the notes. Yeah, yeah, okay. You know, so it's that Get, keep the feel. teamwork working together. Yeah. So let's go back to our chords, because we've yeah. kind of veered off into yeah, my, we have, my yeah. rent. <laughs> we, <we've laughs> C, C major 6 we were looking at, wasn't it? Is we were looking right? at it's C6, it's called. C6. It does indeed contain... A major sixth. The next one, well, that's the A covered. Then we've got the B. And if we add the B... Major, uh, major seven. Yeah, major seven. It's an interesting place to add it. the other day which is, might be useful to our listeners as well yeah sorry to veer off again we've right. got a very brief one promise that's fine 
when I first started learning, I, I did read a lot about cage style and stuff like mm. that and, and the cage theory. And it's maybe useful in some ways, but not brilliant. I think, mm. you know, it, it steers you away from ear learning and stuff like that. But it's but one thing I did notice is it gives you the five types of chords and yeah. that's helpful. So you've got your C, A, G, E and use, D. Yeah. But uh, looking at those different types of chords, there are two types within. So you've got your C, which is one, three, five, one, one, five. And that's the same as the G. So it stacks yeah. the notes in the same way. That's right. And then the E, A and D are the same. They stack the notes as one, five, one, three. Yeah. So it's different, different stacking, different mm-hmm. arrangement. That's right. It's when useful we, to know. When we get chords and we get different kind of versions of them or notes in different orders, notes in different registers, it's surprising what a difference it makes. Now, if you watch Eric Johnson change yeah. from one chord to another, and this got me thinking a few years back, often what he changes in terms of chords are really close together. Yeah. Which keeps the tones close together. Yeah. So the chords sound less sort of spread out. Harmonic, very harmonic, yeah. Yeah. So we've done this in a previous episode, so I mean people can scroll back through the rhythm guitar stuff we've done because I know we've looked at this before. But it is possible in a scale to get your chords, like all the chords that belong in that scale... Play them in the same position. Oh, yeah. Or very yeah. similar. Nice. E minor. F. G. A minor. B diminished. Always a freaky sound. <laughs> Back to C. Yeah. All within a sort of three, four fret. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Kind of area. Another good exercise. Yeah. In- indeed. Indeed, another good exercise. So what could we substitute for what out of what we've got so far? This is the first thing. All of those chords we've looked at, so I'm going to play them one after another. C. C sus 2. C sus 4. C 6. C major 7. Yeah. All of those would be absolutely fine to substitute for a normal C major. Yep. The only place this wouldn't really work is in a blues. Yeah. Now, obviously, you have to look at songs on a case-by-case basis. Yep. Because what works with one song might not serve the next one so well. But all of those, you know, if you've got a C chord in a piece and you want to add a C major 7, you can do that, you know, through some clever fretting. You can go from a C major 7 to a C to a C sus 2 back to another C back to a C sus 4 and a C6. Yeah. And the only changes I've made are all on the either the B string and then one finally on the top string. Nice. So even that, literally running through the whole gamut, could present you with some interesting stuff. Yeah. Nice. 
used all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. They all go together. Now, this is something else which gets a lot of people confused, which we need to look at, and that's the difference between a seven and a major seven. Yeah. When we talk about a major seven or anything where we put major after the chord, it means that it contains the major seven, the seventh note of the major scale. In C, C, D, C, D, E, F, G, A, B, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. So it's got yeah. a B in it, in the case of C. A semitone down from the root note. Whatever major chord you're on, the, the major seventh will be a semitone down from the root. No matter if you're in F, D, E flat, B, it's always a semitone yeah. down. It doesn't matter. So, what about the seventh? What's the deal here? This is a major confusion point for a lot of people who are uninitiated in how chords go together. Yeah. There are two kinds of seventh. We have the seventh and the dominant seventh. The dominant seventh, giving it its full proper musical name, is the flattened seventh. Now, when we say something's flattened, we mean that it's reduced in pitch by a further semitone. So if we've got a seventh, a major seventh being the B, up against the C... A dominant seven will be a B flat. Now this is often denoted when we're reading music or reading a chord chart as seven. Yeah. It doesn't say dominant seven, it says seven. Yeah. So wherever you see dominant seven, it's a flat seven. It's a seventh which doesn't actually appear in the scale. Yeah. If we play the major scale put in a dominant seventh we actually get mixolydian mode yep which is quite a bluesy mode now that should tell you something right there so when we're playing a seventh chord rather than a major seven we're adding the b flat we're adding something a whole step or a whole tone down from the root yep so if we're playing a c7 we're adding the b flat to our c equation yep now trying to swap a seventh for a major seventh isn't really going to work no it's not really going to work. pretty dissonant. Here's another clue. Minor pentatonic, blues, Dorian, they're all minor scales or modes which are connected with the minor scale. So if I play C, blues scale, yeah. we have a flat seven. Is yeah. the seventh which would appear in the minor scale. Yeah. Now that's the seventh which is our dominant seventh in our major scale. Yep. Confused yet? Great. Yeah. So when we're playing a C7, it's more bluesy. Yep. Where as opposed to when we're playing a C major seven, which is more jazzy. So one of them makes you want to play. That, yeah. and one of them makes you want to play that. That's kind of difference. That's the yeah. way I see it. So if you've got a song which is in C major, yeah. and all of the surrounding chords tell you it's in C major, so if it consists of C, D minor, E minor, F, G, A minor, B diminished, or G with a B in the bass, yeah. there's a good chance it's in C major. Right. There's a good chance that a C7 isn't going to be a good substitute. Yeah. Because it's got that flat seven in it. However, if you're playing over a blues, Mustang Sally. <laughs> <laughs> 
classic case in point. Cheesy tune, hates it. But <laughs> at every wedding, you're going to get asked for it. <laughs> You know, that's got C7 written all over it. So anything sort of bluesy, 12 bar y that isn't a minor 12 bar, yeah. it's most likely that a seventh is, is going to be a fair choice. Okay. And so where you normally get, say, the C, F, and G yeah. in a 12 bar progression, you could actually make all of those a seventh. Yeah. And that'll work. Really bleeding. Yeah. So now let's fast track our way through to some of the other chords. Yeah. So we looked at the first set. Imagine we keep going with the number system. So we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah. And then we've got the octave. So we'll call the octave eight. And then we're going to carry on going. So we're now going to move up. So we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Now what we're going to do is carry on going, still playing C major, but into the second octave. So 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. So I've got 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C. We've got a major 7 and a dominant 7 at our disposal. So here's the next thing. When we start moving into the second octave, yeah, because this is where people get really confused, this is where we start to find our ninths, elevenths, and thirteenths. Yep. Now, essentially, you get a nine by stacking the ninth note, which is actually the same as the second note, it's D, but you stack it alongside the seventh. So in a C, you've got the D and you've got the B flat. There's a seven. There's the ninth. Yep. So I've got from the A string to the thin E string, I've got three, two, three, three, three. Yep. Nothing complicated about that. But we can also get a major nine. So what we do, pretty obvious when I tell you, you kick yourself, I'll tell you. <laughs> What you do is you stack the major 7, not the dominant 7, alongside the 9. So instead of having the dominant, you've got the major 7. Yeah. So you start with the C major 7 chord, and then you add the ninth to it. So you've got C, E, B, C major 7, and then the ninth, which is D. So you've then got, for the middle four strings from A upwards, you've got third, fourth, fourth, and third. So your C major 7 that already sounds quite sweet. And then you've got a major 9. So we've already got a C9, which is basically taking a C7, you add the 9. And we've got a C major 9, you take a C major 7, you add the 9. The next in line is the 11. Yep. So this should, in theory, stack the 7, the dominant 7, that is, the 9 and the 11. So the dominant 7 would be B flat. The 9 would be D. 
the 11 would be F. Yep. So. Get the F at the top there. So you can play it in an open position pretty much as third fret on the A. You can have open D or mute the D out. It's up to you. Mute it out sounds better. Third fret on the G. Third fret on the B. First fret on the top string. Yeah. Or you can have eighth fret on the bottom string. Mute the A. And then have eighth fret on the D. Seven on the G. Six on the B. Yeah. That also gives you an 11. So it's kind, are, of, kind of like a B flat over C. Yeah, basically. So it's another really easy way of looking at an 11th chord. It's basically the root you've got with the chord from a step below. Yep. It's a very good one for alternating in certain situations. I'll show you that shortly. With the 11th, we only really entertain the flat 7 in that, so we don't really have a major version. We do have a minor version of it where we add in the minor 3rd. Yeah. But we don't really add in the major seven with this one because you end up with a strange semi-diminished so that would be fiasco. The minor, minor which is like oh that. yeah 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 that's the major seven added in isn't yeah. it? yeah that's the minor which is basically like a diminished chord but with a, a slightly different root note very strange and am I right that's uh... so usually a minor eleven you might So I've I've ditched the ninth in that case, so I've got eight on the bottom string, mute the A, eight on the middle two strings, and then I've got the sixth fret of the B. Yeah. With this particular one, and this you'll find this with a lot of guitar chords, we've only got five oh, yeah. we've only got four fingers and one thumb. <laughs> so I was getting muddled between the minor oh, of right. the B flat and the minor of the C there. Oh, I, okay. <laughs> I don't know what chord I made there. So with some chords like the minor 11, and there are other chords which are similar, we've only got four fingers and one thumb, so that limits what we can press when. And then we've got a normally tuned guitar. We're not going to yeah. tune it up for one particular chord unless we're playing slide or something. Yep. So we've only got six strings. And if you start adding up the notes, often we end up with like more notes than there are strings. Yeah. Well, that's never going to work. So it has to be a compromise. So usually the first thing we would consider ditching would would be the the major third or the fifth. Yeah. Or minor third and fifth if it was a minor chord. And then we would get in as many of the other notes as possible. Got to have the root note. Got to have the root note, ideally. And we want, we want as Should much of it sevens. as possible, you know, but that's that's kind of sort of how it kind of pans out. Yeah. Then we get to the 13. So a 13... We'll have our root. Yep. Flat seven. Yep. Eleven. And thirteen. Could get interesting. Gonna have to add the F on the next there. So you get this. So the the, the normal given thirteenth shape is eighth fret on the bottom, mute the yeah. A, eighth fret on the D. Ninth fret on the G, and then if you cover the top two on the tenth, you get oh, yeah. 13. What that does do is it ditches the 11 and replaces it with a major third. So we haven't got the F in there. So we haven't got no. the F, but you yeah. could have the F by barring across the top three with your little finger. Yep. 
But it sounds a little nicer without it, I think. Yeah, okay. Could we do that a different way? Probably. It would just take some thinking about, I think, really, if we were to do it a different way. Yeah. Like that, maybe. But I'm, uh, well, there you go, there's another way of doing it. Oh, yeah, okay. C. So that's third on the A, fifth on the D, third on the G, sixth on the B, fifth on the top string. And this is the beauty of knowing and understanding the notes. Yeah. Because what you get for your time and your effort is you get chord shapes which are new, which yeah. you've come up with, because you can see what notes you want, and it encourages you to explore, rather than just sticking with a, a given shape. Yeah, chord charts and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So the other thing you can do then is a major 13, and all you do is take the same old thing, and then you raise the B flat, the flattened 7, to a B, which is a major 7. And we've got a major 13. Like that. Yeah. Nice. Better than nice. Great. Great. <laughs> Smashing. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Got all that going on. Yeah. And then, of course, you can find inversions. You know, if you've got a bass player who's playing a root note and you can find all of the notes, but you can't quite hit the root note because it's maybe complicated finding all those notes and trying to fret them, you could always do an inversion with the E in the root or the G in the root or something else, but it still contains the notes of a 13th. Yeah. The basic rule is really, really, really simple. If you're playing over a major chord progression... And it's got the chords which are from the major progression. So in any key, that's going to go major, minor, minor, major, major, minor, diminished. So in the case of C, you'll get a C major, D minor, E minor, F major, G major, A minor, B diminished. Or sometimes B with a G with a B in the bass. Then those chords in the key of C over the C parts are all going to work, all the ones which are taken straightly directly from the major scale, including the major seven. Yeah. Anywhere bluesy, anything with the dominant seventh could well work. So if I was playing a blues, I could substitute a seven for a ninth or for a thirteenth. Yeah. An eleventh... It's got that suspended sound again. Yeah. I might pedal between it. Anything with the major, the major seven, 
again, you can swap it for any of the major alike chords. Yeah. So if we're playing a C major 7, we've got something jazzy going on. <laughs> nice. Major 13, major 7, major 9, major 13, major 7, major 9. That's the simple rule. Now then, taking it through the rest of the scale, and this is where, this is homework for you all, right? Get we, the paper and the pen. Paper <laughs> and pen, right down, it's beautiful. So in the key of C, looking at just our C chords, we've really scratched the surface here, but hopefully it's given you enough to work with. Yeah. Now, if we're then looking at stretching it over a progression, you need to find the notes for a D minor, E minor, F major, G major, A minor, and B diminished scale. Yeah. And run through the same exercise. Now, work with me here. When we're looking at D minor, for example, hmm. if you run up the scale, you're going to find a D minor chord in a lot of songs which are in the key of C, perhaps. Yeah. But of course, there are clashes. Yeah. Because although your D, E, and F notes and G and A are, are all fair game, yeah. and the C, and back to the D is fine, the B is flat. Yeah. So you can go through a similar exercise where you've got, you have a D minor, D sus 2, D sus 4. Yeah, they're all game. They're all game. Your mind now, with a minor sixth chord, you almost inevitably use a major sixth instead yeah. of the minor sixth. So instead of using the B flat, you use a B. So that still works. And then you've got the seven. That all works. Major, minor nine. That's all good. Yeah. Minor 13. That's all good. Minor 11's all good. Yeah. So the simple thing here with with looking at substitutions one look at the chord options in other keys and then be prepared to change certain things when you run into roadblocks so when you go for an e minor scale everything's going to be fine until you hit f sharp yeah so an e minor nine nine is, is not, not going to work yeah so the 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 only option you could have an e minor seven and then add a flat nine yeah yeah, okay. So I've got E minor 7. Yeah. My 9 is flat. Or E minor with an added flat 9 is quite sort of a creepy chord. Yeah. So you can go through the same process with everything else, but what you've just got to be a little bit careful of is the notes that would clash with your initial key. Now, don't let it sort of stop you from experimenting. Yeah. You know, if you find something weird and it works, well, great. Now, you were asking earlier, and this but the last thing we'll have a little look at today, if that's all right with you. Yeah, of course. You were asking about chords which are falling out of the key. Yeah. Often you get chords used in a piece. The Beatles are classic uh, users, I think, aren't they? The Beatles had some very interesting <laughs> chord choices. Yeah. I often felt Lennon was 
Lennon was responsible for kind of some of the, the stranger choices, maybe, yeah. listening to his solo albums that came later on. Yeah. But McCartney kind of seemed to tie everything together and, and make it a pop song. Yeah. You know, yeah, so you, you had the yin and yang. You know, you listen to some of Paul McCartney stuff, it's great, but it's quite straight for the most part. Yeah. Whereas you listen to, to Lennon, it's quite edgy. George Harrison. Whoa. <laughs> George Harrison. Out some, there. <laughs> sometimes did some out there things. But George Harrison's playing is great and highly oh. underrated. He played very much for the song. Until you sat there and you try to work out some of George Harrison's guitar parts and you, you tear your hair out and go, What? <laughs> What's this guy doing? But he, did, he, he often played things that a guitar player wouldn't play because yeah. he served the song so well. And he did it time and time again. You look at the lick at the beginning of I Feel Fine. It's kind of awkward. Yeah. Yeah. But it sounds brilliant and it sounds simple. He makes it sound easy. Mm. And there's a lot of George Harrison's playing when you listen to some of maybe the, the lesser known cuts where the Chet Atkins, and Chet Atkins was an amazing sort of country fingerstyle guitarist from the 50s. Yeah. If you don't know him, folks, check him out. He was pretty cool. A lot of the Chet Atkins influence really comes through, and there's a lot of country-style pieces and a lot of solos that are very much based around chords. But I guarantee you, if you go and you look at some of George Harrison's stuff, it will give you as many problems yeah. as some of the things that you think should be tougher. Because George Harrison's stuff sat beautifully in a track. Really, yeah. really nicely. You know, it was perfect. But he's a very unusual guitar player. He's not really a glory boy. But he was clearly doing what we were saying earlier. Searching for the good sounds. Searching for the sounds that served the track well. Yeah. And his playing in that respect was... I've got a lot of respect for what George Harrison did because he bought quite an unusual edge to guitar playing and he never really received I don't think the accolades that he should have mm. had a very song orientated approach you can learn a lot from looking at a bit of George Harrison's guitar yeah. work it's pretty interesting yeah it's not the norm it doesn't follow the normal patterns for the most part so you were asking about like chords that fall out of the key yeah frequently when we write songs whether we know it or not scales keys they're often quite close together and there's not much difference from one to the other. So just in the same way that we were looking at D minor up against C major and F shares the same notes, it's got B flat. That's the only rogue. Yeah. Everything else is the same. Now what that means is that everything else is going to pretty much be the same, which means that there are going to be chords that cross over. Yeah. So if you're in the key of C... You might have something in the key of C. Quite yeah. normal kind of progression. So I played C, G, A minor, F. And we've all heard that progression about six million times. We probably don't need to hear it again, but here it is again. Yeah. Now you might throw a random B flat chord in there. You might think, well, that's a bit of a weird one. So we might be playing this progression. Yeah. 
So I chucked a B flat in there a couple of times. You think, what the hell has B flat got to do with C? Yeah. Not a lot. No. So you think. But it's not always the chord which are actually changing key to. It's sometimes that that chord appears in a key that's very close. Yeah. So if I play C. C major's going to work over it. But when I go down to the B flat. I'm not playing B flat major. I'm playing F. Yeah, okay. F's only got one difference from C, which is the B flat. So when you play a B flat chord, the D and the F in the chord, they appear in the key of C. Yeah, the D, yeah. The but D the B one. flat does not. Yeah. Uh-huh. Gotcha. Yeah. You can also get something maybe in C major. G minor. Well, what's that all about? So I've gone from C to A minor to G major to F, and then I hung on the F, and I've gone for like a chorus C to G minor F. Again, it's in the F. Right, exactly that. It's actually the relative minor to the B flat. flat, See what I did there? So, okay, you've pulled it out of kind of its normal situation. But it's it's all fair game. Everything's closer than you realise. The G and the D. That's already in there. I used yeah. an F as well, extending it to a G minor 7. Well, that's all in the key of C. The B flat, that's our rogue. Yeah. Nothing so else. You, you could do the same thing, but go the other way with the uh, G. Key yeah. of G. Use the scale of the key of G. So, yeah. With you, F sharp. and Yeah, you could do that. So, if you're in C again... So again, B and D, they appear in C. The F-sharp note in that chord does not. Yeah. But where the key is so close, you're kind of purposefully picking a chord, which is the rogue, to yank it out. But where most of it's close, it's kind of close enough to let the melody flow and let everything work. Yeah. But it's got one little rogue bit, which you have to kind of watch if you're soloing over it or playing a melody over it. Yeah. But it can lead to some very nice note choices for melodies, and it can lead to some very interesting chord progressions that just lift things a little bit. Yeah. So okay, those cool. are some places. So, again, in terms of homework, and for you folks out there who are tuning in, thank you for tuning in. <laughs> Here's what you need to do for next time. <laughs> or what you could do to kind of help yourselves out with the chords. Look at keys that are really close. If you're thinking of changing the key or taking it one step further, if something's in C, we're looking at C because it's simple, 
The G is one sharp away, it sharpens the F. The F is one flat away, it flattens the B. If you take it to the next level, the B-flat key adds E-flat to the F's B-flat. So it's yeah. only two steps away. Yeah. So you could change to something in the key of F that's yeah. close, and from there to the key of E-flat. Yeah. Back to the F, back to the C, or even straight back to the C if you're feeling very brave. Yeah. So the closer things are, the closer knitted together the chords can be and, and be used in that scenario, if you see what I mean, yeah. leading to some interesting songwriting choices. Yeah, no, that's, that's really helpful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank no you very problem. much, Dan. Pleasure. Stay tuned for more episodes, jams, improvisation ideas and well-informed thoughts about amps, pedals and guitar tone. If you enjoy this podcast, leave us a review on iTunes, find us on SoundCloud or see our website on tunein-toneup.com. Here you'll find show notes, tabs and further research and resources. It's also a good place to get in touch. We hope you're finding these lessons as interesting and as useful as I do and if you have any suggestions, we'd love to hear them. Yeah.